church, our Lord said, Why are you persecuting me? So Christ is still on the cross. Behold, I stand at the door of God. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. You're listening to Behold the Man with your host, Joe McLean. Here I am to worship, here I am to bow down, here I am to see that you're my God, you're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together Buenos dias, que tal? Welcome back to Behold the Man. I'm your host, Joe McLean. It's great to be back with you today as we dive deep into Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, the readings from this past Sunday's gospel. The intro song was Here I Am to Worship from the album Immersed by Josh Blakesley. An excellent song and it has a lot to do with our topic today as we come to the new Jerusalem, as we come to worship the church of the Lamb of God. Before we begin, let's say our prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. All praise and glory and honor be to you, Almighty God. We give you all the honor and all the praise. We come to worship you. We come to understand your word and pray that you will send forth your Holy Spirit to break it open and help us to understand. We ask for more grace, Father. Increase our faith. Give us the the grace we need to walk in your ways Give us the grace we need to come back to your sacraments and your church that you have established, that you have given to us, pouring forth your Holy Spirit upon the twelve. We ask for the unity of all Christians, the conversion of sinners, for healing for those who suffer or who have suffered at the hands of your ministers or any Christians. We ask for forgiveness and reconciliation for all who have sinned, who have offended you, my God, who have offended us, mankind, each other, and have abused those whom God, you, my Lord God, have entrusted into their care. We ask for a fulfillment of the mission that you have entrusted to your church, the spread of the good news, to make disciples of all nations 
through your church. We ask for your blessing upon the successors of St. Peter, Pope Benedict XVI especially, as we pray for his mission to be the vicar of Christ our Lord on earth. May you, my Lord, protect him from this secular world who wishes to tear him down, that does not want to hear the message that you have given him to give to us. We ask for the intercession of Our Lady, our Mother, to pray for us. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, we're going to be diving deep in Acts chapter 2. So we've got a lot of, a mater- lot of material to cover and a very short amount of time to do it in. So as usual, we're going to have to move along pretty quickly. Let's begin. Starting in verse 1, quote, When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. Now, really quickly, let's look at the all together in one place. If we were to back up to Acts chapter 1, we would see how St. Peter and the other ten got together. But because Judas had hung himself, his position was now vacant. It's an office that had to be filled. And so what did they do? They cast lots and they said, let another his bishopric take. All right. So they cast lots to find that Matthias was then selected by the Holy Spirit to fill that void, to fill that vacant office of Judas in the uh, in the the apostles, the 12 apostles. So they went from 10 or from 11 apostles, now back up to 12 apostles. And now we could dive deeper onto that subject, but if you'd go back and and listen to the show I did on St. Peter the Rock, you'll have a little more insight into the fact that they do possess office, not just uh, some, you know, empty title, if you will. But no, this is an office that once it's empty or void, it had to be filled again. And so that's exactly what they did. They cast lots. Lots are very uh, particular. It's uh, very important to understand what the lots mean. They are priestly. It's a priestly reference. We see in Luke chapter 1 and back in the Old Testament as well as that they used lots to, to figure out how the priest would serve in the temple. So the fact that they are casting lots gives us an insight into the fact that these 12 men are also 12 priests. They instituted by Christ in the upper room as priests. We've talked about that several times. Now, so they're all together. All 12 of them are together now in the one place with the others, our lady included, uh, in the upper room. And they were living in fear somewhat uh, until this day, until Pentecost had come, when everything else changes. This is the game changer. But Pentecost is very important. We have to have a a better understanding of what Pentecost is from a first century Jewish perspective if we're to understand how to interpret the rest of Acts chapter 2. And so if we were to look back at Leviticus chapter 23 from verses 15 through 21, we would get an understanding of this is where God, you know, commands how the the feast of Pentecost would be celebrated every year in the life of Israel. And so what we see is very quickly in verse 15 how Passover and Pentecost were linked together. You know, Passover starts the the Pasch, you know, that that Passover season, and it culminates in in Pentecost, Pentecost being the 50th day of Passover. 
this is very significant. This takes us back to Exodus when God brought the people out of Egypt. He starts them in Egypt with a Passover. Fifty days later, they end up at Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. There, when the Shekinah glory cloud, the Shekinah, comes down upon the top of the mountain, and the people are are brought up to the mountain to meet God, okay? This same pillar uh, led them out of Egypt, all right? So, this is very interesting. It's also very significant. Now, if we look at how those sacrifices work, there's a couple of things that are very important that I'd like to just mention really quick. Pentecost is tied up into the harvest. This is a feast of the first fruits. The people wanted to do a thanksgiving, an offering back to God. They took their grain offering, uh, their first, the, the best of what they had to offer, the first fruits, and offered it back on the morrow after Passover. Now, let's set the stage. Let's go back to, let's say, 30 AD when our Lord was crucified. He was crucified, he was crucified on the vigil of Passover, the Friday. Okay, and they took him down because as soon as twilight come, it was time to celebrate Passover. And they couldn't have, you know, these bodies up on the cross. And so they were going around breaking the knees. But our Lord was already dead. They pierced his side with the spear. You know, water and blood issued forth. And they took him down and put him in a very close by um, cave or a very close by a tomb hewn fresh there in the garden, according to John's gospel, uh, so that they could go and celebrate the Passover according to the law. And then he rose again on the morrow after Passover, which is Sunday. He rose on that Sunday. But on that Sunday, according to Leviticus chapter 23, it was required that they would bring the Omer offering. The priest would go to the nearby wheat you know, field there, and they would take basically a sheaf of of this barley wheat, and they'd bundle it, right? And they'd bring it back to the altar, and they would offer up offer it up as a wave offering. Now, what is a wave offering? You know, Leviticus doesn't give us any more detail as to how a wave offering is actually conducted. I mean, does the priest wave to God or wave the, the barley and say, hi, God, how you doing? No, of course not. That's not how a wave offering is conducted. We'd have to uh, look at some extra biblical sources to understand more fully how that wave offering is done. But basically, the priest would hold this sheaf of barley wheat after it had been, you know, purified, let's say, and he would hold it up and he would raise it up to God and he'd raise it down. And then he would go left with it and then he'd go right with it. He's basically making the shape or the sign of the cross. And and this kicks off this counting of seven weeks, you know, plus one, the super plentitude, you know, the super abundance of God's graces. That's the culmination of Pentecost, where they would offer up uh, two leavened pe- loaves and more cereal offerings, which is wheat and and then the, the sheep and the goats. OK, all of this is Eucharistic prototypes for what would be come to perfection or fulfilled in Christ our Lord. When that day would come, when a a priest of the new covenant would hold up the Eucharistic bread and wave it in the shape of the sign of the cross over the adorer. Okay, that is powerful imagery. The prototypes found in the Old Testament coming to, to fulfillment in the new is just 
amazing. That's what's going on here in the Feast of the Pentecost as they count forward that seven weeks, the 50 days, moving from Egypt and the Passover to Mount Sinai and the giving of the law when the Lord God writes the law on tablets with his finger. Okay, that would come to fulfillment in the New Testament with God writing the new law with his finger on the hearts of man. Now, this, as I said, the wave offerings were 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 done in at Pentecost, very specific uh, sacrifices that you can read in Leviticus chapter 23, going from verses 15 to 21. That should give you a, a little more understanding of what uh, Pentecost was for the first century Jew. It was one of the three feasts that they were required to come to Jerusalem to celebrate, to rest on that super Sabbath. You know, Passover was one, uh, Pentecost was another, and then Tabernacles was the third. And again, they were all together. They were one. Passover and Pentecost linked intimately together in the book of Exodus, as well as here in the New Testament. Okay, in Exodus 19, verse 9, we read, quote, And the Lord said to Moses, Lo, I am coming to you in a thick cloud, that the people may hear when I speak with you, and may also believe you forever. This is a powerful image that I want you to keep in your mind because it will come back here in a minute. Let's move on to verse 2 of Acts 2. Quote, And suddenly a sound came from heaven like the rush of a mighty wind, and it filled the, all the house where they were sitting. Okay, another very powerful verse. We, we're, you have to go one verse at a time here because it's packed full of rich meaning, and we've got to unpack it a little bit. And so they're all together in, in this upper room. It's the Feast of Pentecost, linking Passover to, uh, to Mount Sinai. They are the giving of the law. Okay, and what happens there? The Shekinah glory cloud comes down upon this mountain. And, Mo, and as we said, God gives the law written with, a, with his finger on the tablets. Now, the Shekinah glory cloud, the spirit of God. Now, we've seen this before. We talked about this last week, but let's go over again really quickly. We saw that it hovered over the waters and the primordial rock there in Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. Okay, this rock image, very, very important. Also, look for all of its parallels. In Genesis 1, we saw how the waters receded and dry land sort of appeared. That's that primordial rock, okay? And we see the, the Holy Spirit hovering above the waters of creation and hovering above that and making that primordial rock come to be, right? So this is creation imagery here. So the Shekinah glory cloud, the Spirit of God hovering above the creation waters and the rock, Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. We saw this cloud lead the Israelites out of Egypt as a pillar of cloud cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night in Exodus chapter 13 verse 21. We saw this cloud come down upon Mount Sinai in fire and thunder in Exodus 19 uh, verse 16. We also heard loud trumpet blasts and the people trembled out of fear. We saw this cloud fill the temple after the ark was placed in the sanctuary in Solomon's consecration in 1 Kings chapter 8 verses 10 through 11, 10 and 11. It filled the temple. Very important. Remember that. We saw this cloud encompass our Lord Jesus, St. Peter, James, and John on the mountain of transfiguration when our Lord started to shine like the sun as he conversed with Moses and Elijah. Remembering that Moses also, when he conversed with God, he shined like the sun too, scared the people. 
Okay, well, that cloud encompassed them. And from that cloud came the voice of God telling the St. Peter and the others that this is my son. All right. Listen to him. Do as he asks, basically. All right. That's in St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 9, verses 28 through 36. We saw this cloud, you know, take Jesus up to heaven. Just last week, we talked about this. It took Jesus up to heaven in his glorious ascension, taking his seat at the right hand of God the Father. We read about that in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. Okay, so this Shekinah glory cloud, its traits are very interesting. It comes with smoke, clouds, right? Loud thunder, peals of trumpets, and and just this overwhelming, you know, tumult of, of of force coming upon you. It reminds us basically of of our Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day in Genesis chapter three. The Hebrew word used for that is ko. Okay, now ko doesn't mean uh, the the snapping of of little branches and the crumpling of leaves. You know nature sounds. No, it refers to a loud, overwhelming presence. You know, think of that, just that foreboding presence. This is scaring Adam and Eve, and they're running and hiding in bushes. Okay? So, when God comes, you know it. The people are scared, as we saw there in Mount Sinai, or even in in, in 1 Kings, with the the cloud coming into the temple and filling the temple. And here in verse 2 of Acts 2, it filled the house where they were. God was coming down and making himself present upon the twelve and the others, filling the house like it filled in the temple. Moving on to verse 3 there, it says, quote, And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributed and resting on each one of them. Again, fire. This fire is very significant. We saw this fire in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. This fire, this tongue of fire that that consumed or that didn't consume the bush. It issued from the bush, but didn't consume it. And the ground around it was holy. And Moses had to remove his sandals in order to approach. We saw this fire and the pillar of fire in Exodus chapter 13, verse 21. This, as we said before, was the pillar that led the people out of Egypt by day, a pillar of cloud by night, a pillar of fire. This is the cloud and the fire that came down on Mount Sinai in Exodus 19. It encompassed the top of the cloud, burning the the mountain, if you will. This was a a presence of God by fire. We saw this fire also, the heavenly throne and stream in Daniel's prophecy, chapter 7, starting in verse 9 and 10. There, Daniel describes the throne of God being made of fire, and under it, a stream of fire. Okay, this is the this is Holy Spirit imagery, but this fire is very significant to us. It, there is an ancient writing called uh, called Enoch, uh, and we see in the in First Enoch, chapter fourteen, how Enoch describes a vision he has of the heavenly temple, and it's it's very much in line with Daniel's vision of it as well. But in First Enoch fourteen, he says he describes that heaven is made. Itself, heaven itself, the temple in heaven is made of tongues of fire. Very interesting. You know, we we read about Enoch in, in Genesis. He's the guy who walks with God and God, you know, took him up, body and soul, basically, into heaven, as the tradition goes. But 
so we read that in First Enoch 14. I can link an article to that. You can get more information on that on at my website at catholichack.com. But heaven itself is made of tongues of fire. Now we read in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29, quote, Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Verse 29, quote, For our God is a consuming fire. All right, so you have here, in just a few short verses of Acts chapter 2, the Shekinah glory cloud coming down upon the twelve, and tongues of fire coming down upon them. This is heaven touching down on earth. This is heaven and earth coming together. This is the Shekinah coming down upon the rock of St. Peter. Verse 4 of Acts chapter 2, quote, And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, the speaking of tongues... There is a lot of misconceptions about the speaking of tongues, and I don't want to get into too much of that right now, but there is some very significant parallel verses, passages to this Acts chapter 2 episode that bring out its fuller meaning. For instance, in Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 24 and 27, we see how God intends to give them a new heart and a new spirit. It's this prophecy. So that's Ezekiel 36, 24 and 27. Now, if I move on to verse 5 real quick of Acts chapter 2, it says, quote, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. If we look at Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 and 3, it says, quote, It shall come to pass in the latter days that the mountain of the house of the Lord shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised above the hills and all the nations shall flow to it. And many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. All right. Now, what's interesting is you have all of these men gathered here in Jerusalem. Now, as we said at the beginning of the show, this is Pentecost. They have to come. But we are told, and we're going to be showing here in the next few passages, that these are men from the four corners of the earth, okay? From the four corners of the center of the earth, uh, what was known, okay? So these men represent that coming from the four winds kind of idea. And the Old Testament prophecies talked about the day when God would would make a new heart for them, make a a new spirit would would bring them back together. Okay? He's going to he's going to call them out from all the nations they were dispersed to and bring them back. And they would come to that mountain, that rock where the temple of God exists, where the word of the Lord goes out, the new law Okay, if we move on to verse six of Acts chapter two, it says, quote, and at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one heard them speaking in his own language. All right. So it was this sound that this of the the house being filled with the spirit 
You know, or the sound of this rushing and driving wind, the tumult, the tempest, this massively, you know, scary sound that was going on there with the tongues of fire now, you know, coming upon them. And now they're speaking in tongues. Holy smokes, what's going on here? That's what they hear. That's what starts to gather them together. And we know that the sound of the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory cloud coming down and filling this house much like it did when it filled the temple in 1 Kings 8, or in the sounds of it coming upon Mount Sinai in Exodus 19, the, the sound of the thunder, the peals of lightning and thunder, and, the, and the, the trumpet blasts. That's the imagery. Now, don't forget, they're there for Pentecost. They were there to make Pentecost, Mount Sinai in particular, present once again. That was the festival God commands them to celebrate every year in Leviticus chapter 23 to make present the giving of the law, the first fruits of the harvest every year. That's what they were there for. And we see an actual fulfillment of that right before their eyes. Let's move on to verse seven in Acts chapter two, quote, and they were amazed and wondered saying, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it with that we hear each of us in his own native language? If we looked at Isaiah chapter 28, verses 9 and 11, we would read, quote, Whom will he teach knowledge, and to whom will he explain the message? Those who are weaned from the milk, those taken from the breast? For it is precept upon precept, precept upon precept, line upon line, line upon line, here a little, there a little. Nay, but by men of strange lips and with an alien tongue, the Lord will speak to his people. That's Isaiah 28, verses 9 and 11. It's the babbling of men that God fulfills this prophecy, bringing them back from the four winds of earth, reuniting them, reconciling them in the new Jerusalem. If we were to read in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verses 21 through 22, St. Paul says, quote, in the law, it is written, By men of strange tongues and by the lips of foreigners will I speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Thus, tongues are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers, while prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. So you see, St. Paul is telling us, and he's reaffirming this idea, that it is by the tongues of strangers, of strange men, it is the babbling of the tongues, that the men will know that this prophecy has come to fulfillment. If we look at Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 1 and 3, 1 through 3, we see how Moses was telling the people, look, if you break the covenant, curses will come upon you, you will be scattered to the four winds, but God will restore you one day. And that's what Isaiah is drawing on. You know, he's going to use the babbling of these men to draw these men back from the four corners. Now, I need to skip forward. I'm running out of time and there's so much great material here. They're accused in verses 12 through 15 of drinking wine and being drunk. And Peter stands up and says, no, we're not drunk. It's only the ninth uh, or it's only the third hour, about 9 a.m. 
That's very significant because what were they doing? The, they were, all these men were out praying at the temple, the Amidah, the Jewish prayer. The Tamid was being offered in the, in the temple where they were offering up the lamb and the benedictions by the priest, incense, music, and trumpet blasts. But these men were out, out and they were praying these benedictions while that offering was being uh, made. They were praying, among other things, for the coming of the Messiah, the restoration of Jerusalem to be assembled from the four corners of the earth, the restoration of the judges or these 12 phylars, the 12 chiefs of the tribes and the restoration of the kingdom and the coming back of the Shekinah glory cloud into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, to bring back the worship into the Holy of Holies, the sacrifice of Israel, the return of the Spirit in the temple. Because the ark wasn't there anymore. It had been removed and hidden in a mountain before the Babylonians destroyed the Solomon Temple uh, back in the Old Covenant. Okay, And these Jewish men from the four corners of the earth were there praying for those exact same things when they heard this sound like a driving wind and the coming and this cloud filling the house where the 12 were, these 12 new phylars, these 12 new chiefs of the, of the new Israel were there coming out, speaking tongues, you know, reminding them of Isaiah. All of this Old Testament you know, knowledge that they would have had by default is coming to their mind fresh as they see this scene of St. Peter and the other, St. Peter, the rock upon which the Shekinah comes down upon, making heaven and earth touch down together. There is just so much more. What happens? If you get to cut to the end of Acts chapter 2, what happens? Peter exhorts them to be baptized. And what happens? About 3,000 are saved that day. That's verse 41 of Acts 2. If you go back to Exodus 32, 28, there at Mount Sinai, what happens? The Levites draw swords and kill about 3,000 men for worshiping that golden calf, Apis. This, in Acts 2, is a fulfillment of the Mount Sinai episode. This Pentecost is what was intended from the beginning. What's the point? Hebrews 12, verses 18 through 24. You have come to the ecclesia of the Lamb of God. The new Jerusalem. Heaven has touched down upon his church. The ecclesia on the, on the new rock, St. Peter. Wish I had more time. There's so much more. But stop by the website, catholichack.com, for links to some great articles that will explain this in more detail. Until next time, I'm praying for you. May God richly bless you. From the Catholic Underground. Underground.